straight ahead with the 606 Club from Midnight Wednesday.
Hey, hello. I hope you had a fantastic week and already with two hours of great jazz and conversation with myself, David, and London's 606 Club. We open this week with La La Land from Hamish Stewart. Hamish is probably best known for his work as the original lead singer and guitarist with the Average White Band. He's worked with more, including Diana Ross, George Benson and Shaka Khan, actually writing her number one hit, What You Gonna Do For Me? For many years, Hamish played monthly at the club and his performance at our 30th anniversary Lots Road Festival was a highlight of the celebration for many. Last seen at the club in 2018 with Steve Roney's band 360, from whom we shall hear later, he's back with us this Sunday appearing with a six-piece band. Booking is essential and all ticket and gig details are on our website, 606club.co.uk. Next to play is the first of a festive sprinkling of Christmas numbers. And this is Jamin A with Santa Claus is Coming to Town. for you this week with vocalist and harpist Tara Minton back on the show and the bass man Ed Barber joined me chatting about their new duets album which is called Two for the Road. We shall be hearing tracks from the album and chatting with them a little later on. 
Earlier this week, we had Wildcard back with us, founded by expat French guitarist Clément Magère. Wildcard, well, they're kind of a melting pot of musical ideas, really. And this week, the lineup featured horn players Alex Hitchcock and trombonist Tom White. In addition to leading Wildcard, Clément has appeared regularly with artists such as Tim Garland, Natalie Williams, and Leanne Carroll. With two CDs, Organic, Riot, and Life Stories already behind them, this is a track of theirs released earlier this year, featuring Blue Note recording artist Marcus Strickland. Let's check out Deception Story of a Break In.
It's another busy week at the club with artists Lily Dior, John Etheridge, Ross Stanley and Chris Maddock all joining us. And we should hear from all of those guys and play numbers from Hannah Horton, Vasilis Sinopoulos, Hayley Lewin and Harry Connick Jr. too. Next up is a track from Chris Maddock, who was with us this week. Oh, this is just exquisite. It's Chris's take on the gorgeous Emily. Mm-hmm. 
next week, Joe will be back with me one week earlier than normal to bring you our Christmas special. And speaking of Christmas, here is Harry Connick with a sweet version of Blue Christmas. I'll have a blue Christmas without you. Baby, I'll be so blue thinking about you. Decorations of red on a green Christmas tree. They won't mean a thing if you're not here with me. I'll have a blue Christmas that's certain. And when that blue heartache starts hurting started off the show with Hamish Stewart, who is with us on Sunday, as you know. I mentioned another band with whom Hamish has played, that being Steve Roney's 360. And apart from Steve and Hamish, the lineup is completed with Malcolm Molly Duncan on the sax. This is Put Your Hands to the Sky, a track you'll find on their 2016 CD. You 
you're making It all comes round in the end You can shake it, break it, even remake it There's nothing that you can't mend It's your life Put your hands to the sky
So just ahead of meeting our guests this week, Tara and Ed, time for another Christmas song. There's no denying it, Christmas really is just around the corner. My tree went up last week, how's yours looking? And uh, I think most of my shopping's done, but you know what it's like? There's always one present that you seem to forget, and there's a, a panic at the very last minute to try to plan ahead. So as I mentioned, Joe is joining me next week for our Christmas special, but here's another Christmas number on this week's show. This is Hayley Lorraine along with Matt Treader and Let It Snow. Outside is frightful, but the fire is so delightful. And since we've no place to go, let it snow, let it snow, let it snow. It's showing no signs of stopping, and I brought some corn for popping. The lights are turned way down low. Let it snow, let it snow, let it snow. When we finally kiss goodnight How I hate going out in the storm But if you really hold me tight All the way home I'll be warm Oh, the fire's slowly dying And my dear, we're still goodbye As long as you love me so Let it snow, let it snow, let it snow Finally kiss goodnight How I hate going out in the storm But if you really hold me tight All the way home I'll be warm The fire is slowly dying And my dear, we're still goodbye As long as you love me so Let it snow, let it snow, let it snow let it snow, 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 let it snow. Okay, time finally that we get to meet this week's guests, Tara Minton and Ed Barber. They are on the show chatting about their brand new album, a duet's album called Two for the Road. We've got tracks from that album coming up a little bit later on, but the track we're about to listen to is a number that they mentioned during the course of the interview, and this is their take on Goodbye Pork Pie Hat. Straight ahead. Jazz and conversation. Stop in a 
Where the pen stands had a thousand ways of refusing a black man admission. Black musicians in those days, they put him in an underdog position. took him a wife I'm in arm in black and white and some so red and drove them from their hotel beds love is never easy it's short of the hope we have for happiness bright and sweet no love is never easy street now we are black and white embracing out in the lunatic new york night is very unlikely we'll be driven out of town i'll be hugging a tree now that's unlikely tonight these great So it's a double trouble for me this week on Straight Ahead as I welcome back to the show Tara Minton, the uh, tea drinking fiend, harpist and vocalist, and welcome <laughs> on to the show for the first time, the bass man, Ed Babar. How are you, Ed? Yeah, good, thanks. Enjoying the bassman nickname. <laughs> I give everybody nicknames. She's the tea queen. You're the bassman. I've got nicknames for all of you in my folder. How's life going for you two guys? Okay. 
Yeah, great, Dave. Great to see you again. I think it was, uh, was it early this year? I was looking back when we last spoke and the interview ended up being predominantly about Tia Mermaids, I seem to recall, but... Yeah, well, that's how most of my interviews go. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, this interview will be different, I promise you. We'll we'll not mention those two elements again. And Ed, how's things going for you? Yeah, good. Um, Trying to get into the Christmas spirit, enjoying that it's finally December. (laughs) (laughs) How much do you actually enjoy? Are you a Christmas kind of a person or...? Yeah, yeah, I've gone all in. Uh, I've gone all in. I mean, not really. Like, I'm no, it's was, I was going to say the background. It's got a lovely Man, plant in it. So it's like <laughs> that's that's my Christmas tree there. Uh, <laughs> such such a bloke's Christmas tree. <laughs> yeah. Just so people listening, we're looking at something that's probably about three hundred centimeters high in a plant yeah. pot <laughs> on a sideboard. That's the yeah, Christmas smaller tree. smaller than my computer screen for a start. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but tasteful nonetheless. Exactly. And, and and it's got to be about taste. And Ty, has, has Christmas hit uh, your part of town yet? Yes, we oh, put so up a tree last night. Wow, yeah. there you go, see? It's all living. And the harp in the background as well, for good measure. Yep. That Oh, it's a man acting as a silhouette of a harp. But I'm going harp. <laughs> go for the harp. If it's the man that he shouldn't be in here and I need to deal with it. So we mentioned that uh, Tara had been on. We were just discussing before we started recording. I think it was early this year that Tara was on with us. But uh, the reason predominantly for having these two lovely guys with me is to talk about a brand new album that you have Yay. recently released on the Jazz Is It label, correct? Yes, it's. Uh, it will be released on the 28th of January. Okay. And is there... Now, release dates, that's always interests me. Is there a strategic reason behind that you two thought Obviously, I guess this side of Christmas wouldn't be so good. It could get lost. But the end of January, is that sort of thought to be a good time to release an album? Yeah, because most of the most of the big pop stars that kind of clutter up the air, airspace <laughs> haven't, haven't come off their big holidays yet. So we're sneaking in just before the big labels get going again. And with this, how many albums have you released? Because obviously I know you work with other bands as well, Ed. You've got your own band as well, Peter, the Blutes and Roots Ensemble. But... I mean, uh, so I played on I played on all three of Tara's albums, so it's the third one, and kind of gradually getting smaller in scale. Big uh, project that went to duo, uh, so it'll be like a solo project next, I'm sure, from Tara. And then, um, yeah, <laughs> like, uh, yeah, I played on played on various kind of different albums uh, for other jazz artists, um, some more contemporary stuff with bigger bands, um, and then like a few kind of small quartets and things as well, which has been nice. And the album in question, Two for the Road, it's a 13-track album, uh, yeah. which is a contemporary look at standards is the best way. I took a listen to it over the weekend, and that's kind of the way that I would describe it if I was trying to do that horrible thing of pigeonholing it. But just give folks an idea. I mean, you've got versions of Round Midnight on there, what, yeah. uh, what, what We Have to Be, The Sunny Side of the Street. I mean, there's some classics on there. So track choice then, how did that come about? Well, actually, sorry, let me just go back. You two together, how did this come about, the idea for the album itself? Well, we, um, A, we've been playing together for eight years. Uh, We'd got to the final of the World Harp competition and as a duo. And the two of us fit in my car with a double bass, a harp, and and one partner. So either either my husband or or his girlfriend. And, um, you know, it's a really portable project and we enjoy playing together with very good mates. Yeah, I can tell it's road friendly, isn't it? Your setup. It is road friendly. <laughs> oddly, oddly road friendly. <laughs> and so when did the idea come about then? Obviously you gigged together a lot and then did you just begin saying, you know what, actually doing an album together might be a good idea? Yeah. And I, oh, you you go, Ed. 
No, I was just going to say, so yeah, we've been playing together as a duo because it's, because it's quite a, like, it's quite a possible thing. And then, I mean, Tara gets booked for a lot of um, kind of harp showcases kind of around Europe and stuff. So, and like the last one that we did pre-pandemic was just north of Barcelona. And I think when you're going out to do recitals and things, you, you kind of, rather than just kind of busking like a stabbing gig or something, you, you go a bit deeper into what you play. Mm-hmm. So I think when, when we were doing concerts as a duo that we were booked for, and we'd kind of take time, or maybe Tara would take time to rearrange the music that we were playing and we'd rehearse it quite deeply to perform it in concerts. And then having put together like a decent amount of, of kind of tunes that, that were like really heavily arranged and that we've been playing together for a while, for me, it kind of made sense to, to record them. And the, the synergy of your two instruments, bass and harp, it's not one that I can think of being toured regularly. Would I be right in saying that? There is one other bass and harp duo that I know of in the country, but they're contemporary classical. Right, as opposed to contemporary jazz. Yeah. So the two instruments themselves, have they got a natural synergy? Yeah, absolutely they do. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm guessing there's, again, you, as you know, Tart, no musician. So if I occasionally ask the absolute rum question, is there any transference of skills at all? I, mean, I know the harp's more piano based in its kind of layout. Yeah. But is there any transference of skills in them both being stringed instruments at all? Not at all. Right. But just transference of like jazz skills. So like improvising, uh, create, you know, creating, creating melodies and, and yeah. how, like what you're actually playing. But in terms of technique, there's no transference at all. And so then back to the actual track selection that we talked about. What, yeah. How hard is it to, because I'm guessing that is always, the, I would have thought, the bigger part of what to leave out as opposed to what to put in. I'm sure it started off with many more than 13 tracks on there. Yeah, well, we actually had what we felt was a consonant record. Um, and then we invited Jeff Gascoigne on board to be our producer. And he sent over at least another record's worth of, <laughs> of repertoire. Um, and some of that was very exciting. So we had to throw everything back up in the air again and then pick pick a new record. And I'm guessing it uh, started through lockdown. There's a little giveaway, track one, Life in a Bubble. Um, yeah. <laughs> if there's going to be something that timestamps this album, that track will certainly be it. So did it start off as a lockdown project with you two having to do uh, record remotely and just talk on the phone and FaceTime and so on and work out what was going on? Yeah, so um, we discussed tracks and there was quite a fun thing of um, playing voice memos into WhatsApp and then pinging them across to each other with crazy ideas and sending a lot to each other like video messages and things. Um, so yeah, it started as a kind of, yeah, you know, Zoom meetings and, and phone calls. And then um, as it developed, you know, things opened up gradually and it's like, you know, you're allowed to see one other person. And, and so first it was like, cool, we can see that other person. I was, temporarily, I should say, staying at my parents during lockdown. So we, I had a bit more space. So we were able to use the time to, to really rehearse and, and actually spend a bit more time. So started yeah. off set, separately, kind of texted each other, sending each other, you know, stuff over WhatsApp. And then, it, and then it became really intense really quickly, kind of three or four days at a time, five, six hours playing a day, a few like really intense periods of playing to, and to the, put it together. Had the concept of it came, come about before lockdown? Had you begun thinking this is going to be a project we were going to do in 2020 or did it come about because of lockdown? I think it became because of lockdown. Um, you know, we, we'd, we'd played a few concerts, uh, as Ed had said, as a duo. Um, and then because of lockdown, because we couldn't see each other and obviously the life force of jazz musicians is playing with other musicians. As soon as we could start doing that together, because we couldn't 
you know, you couldn't have multiple people in a room. It mm. was just the two of us. Mm. Um, and then, yeah, we thought going forward, you know, in the state of the music industry, we might have a better shot at actually getting a live tour if, if it's just us mm. rather than, you know, for a whole number of it. Yeah. 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 Uh, Actually, that's a really that's a really bit of sensible forward planning. It's almost like future proofing the, the idea of the project because it was always going to be the case that smaller groups were allowed back together sooner than than bigger groups, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah it's like it's slightly the opposite of what we've done before as well. Like you know, I, I won a nine piece ensemble, so yes. it's quite difficult right, to to be big. <laughs> like you know, Taurus, the first time launch of the, the Elgar Room at the Albert Hall, there were there were nine people on stage at one point for that concert as well. So it's kind of the opposite to what we've done before. And of course, both of you teach as well, I know. So yeah. your whole lives stopped and changed through lockdown because literally nothing could happen person to person. Everything that you took as the bread and butter of your daily DNA just stopped overnight, right? Yeah, completely. I mean, Ed did more teaching. Ed has some posh school gigs. <laughs> <laughs> so that kind of kept going online. I um, I don't have a posh school gig. So I was... um. You know, ad hoc at all hours in all countries, teaching whenever it turned up. So that was fun for my neighbours. <laughs> I was going to say, both of you haven't got the most uh, neighbour-friendly instruments, have you? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, Tara, Tara's is definitely like more neighbour-friendly. Um, yes, I mean, a boat's like my. Yeah, I had a I had a weird kind of funny story on it. So I moved into this to a place of my own just before we recorded the album, about like ten days before we recorded it. So you so saw this early flat. To... Is it low floor, up floor? Where we? It's first floor. So it's the top, top floor, but first floor. And yeah. I just, I was practicing really quietly at first. And then I was knocking on my two neighbors either side, knocking on their doors, just saying, like, oh, can you hear it? And they were like, no, no, it's absolutely great. So it's like, fine. Uh, nice, like, sample flat. And so then I started practicing, you know, four or five hours a day, but really tanking it out. And then um, about a week after we finished recording the album, I met my downstairs neighbor. And I was like, hey, I'm, I'm Ed, I'm a musician. He's like, yeah, I know. And I was like, gosh, <laughs> didn't check with that guy. Whether <laughs> so that poor guy, just, but he's, he's very sweet about it. Um, but yeah, I think my neighbors, like, if I quite like to listen to Tara practice, but I don't think anyone wants to listen to double bass player practice, especially the stuff that Jeff wrote for me. It was, it was pretty challenging. Because, of course, Jeff being a bass player himself, as you said, was involved on the project and produced yeah. the project. What was it like working with him? Amazing. <laughs> He's he's fantastic. Yeah, unbelievable. Um, for me, geeking out about arrangements and harmony and all of that stuff, you know, was a complete joy. And then I actually had a lot of respect for Ed not not completely going to mush at playing with such a, you know, such a name. But he was so lovely and created such a vibe of... Um, warmth and friendship throughout the whole process. It was unbelievable. And had you worked with Ed before? Uh, sorry, Ed, had you worked with Jeff before? No, I hadn't. I'd obviously, you know, growing up, listening to the Jamie Cullen Mountains and, and like, I, I'm a London boy myself, like I grew up in Wimbledon. So uh, Jeff was obviously one of the players that I saw as a student growing up to school. And it was cool that like, when we, come, we came at kind of double bass and to different angles. I think Jeff came from like the kind of piano, guitar, onto bass guitar, to double bass that really came from like a jazz a, like a purist jazz thing. And um, I started as an orchestral dumb bass player and then moved into jazz that way. So um, we're kind of slightly different players. And before before we recorded the album, I had a couple of lessons with Jeff because I knew he was going to be producing it at the time. And I wanted to make sure that, you know, he was comfortable with my sound and my approach to playing and, and he thinks I could get from heaven. 
And it's great. I think when he when he realised I had some kind of classical chops as well, he just put all his arrangements up and on to both, uh, which became a bit became a bit more hard work for me. But it was it was cool, and I think that I, I mean to be for him, but I think that he kind of quite enjoyed just writing a slightly different style of double bass, like of double bass lines for me to play. Um, but yeah, I certainly gained a lot from it from working. It. And is it from your point of view uh, a good perspective working with a bass player, a bassist as a producer as well, because he understands your side of the gig? Does that? Yeah, man, totally. And also just things that you don't think about too much as a bass player, especially. I always try and go for like lessons. You know, if, if I if I like you know people's playing, I'll go for lessons. Um, but when you're quite established, you know, and you kind of you you feel like you're comfortable with your own playing. Just you know, just just saying one thing that could completely change everything. Like in my walking bass lines, Jeff was just like, make your crotches longer. Just play as, as, as long as full of crotches as you can. And suddenly you're like, oh God, amazing point. And that's like, that's going to make everything sit a lot better. Just small things, small things uh, really help. But also that you kind of know that you're in really safe hands because when you're recording as a double bass player, if there's someone in the in the kind of in- engine room by like listening to you and, and engineering and what's going on, you kind of, you, you don't second guess what the engineers do, we have an amazing engineer as well, but you don't second guess what they do. You know that kind of whatever sound they're coming up with, you, there's someone they're looking and, and it's going to, you know, you can trust that. So it made the whole thing a little more comforting. And from your point of view, have you, you, I don't think you'd worked with Jeff before on an album, had you, Tara? No, I'd, I'd played with him once. I'd, I'd gone to have a lesson with Trudy Kerb. Oh, yes. Quite, yes, yeah. And um, she invited me to guest with her on a London Jazz Festival show a couple of years ago. And the band, get this, Jeff, Seb DeCrom, <laughs> Tom Corley, and Dave O'Higgins. Wow. How, how does a young jazz musician <laughs> turn up with a harp to a room of, of that? Beasts, yeah. Oh, my God. So I was, um, yeah, quivering in my jocks, but I had a lovely time. <laughs> the Australian vernacular coming out for us there. <laughs> I don't think quivering in our jocks has ever made it onto any of my shows before, but hey, that's a first. <laughs> and obviously, as we mentioned at the head of the show, Tyler, you've been on before, but if I just ask Ed briefly, your background and entry into music, how did it all come about for you? Why? Uh, yeah, so, uh, yeah, so I started as a flute player uh, with my local music. I can't believe you admitted that. <laughs> yeah, uh, so, yeah um, and then I think when I was kind of... Uh, like 10, I started to think about seven, and I think when I was 10, the music service, Merton Music Foundation in South Wales, uh, just, I was looking for a second instrument and they didn't have any double basses in the service, but they had a really good teacher and a double bass they could lend me. And it's that classic thing of like, once you start playing the bass, you know, like you're in every ensemble, you know, the jazz orchestra needs one, the orchestra needs one, the street orchestra needs one, the wind band needs a double bass. And, and I, I just kind of re-immersed myself all through my kind of teenage years, did the kind of youth orchestra scene in, in England as well. And, and then at kind of 16, really got into jazz. Um, had some lessons with Andy Kleindertz during my, um, during my kind of teenage years and was big into that kind of stuff. He was doing with Stan and Clark Tracy. Um, and yeah, and then went on a read, I actually read English literature with, with, with jazz and bass as, a, as an undergrad degree. And then later did a, a postgrad in classical performance with music education. Um, so yeah, I started, I started as a classical player and then through my teenage years, kind of got more into jazz and, and just through playing, really. It's interesting, something you mentioned there, for which I have huge respect, are the ensembles and county bands up and down the country. They are such a breeding ground for youth yeah, man. M- music. Absolutely, bread and butter. Yeah, and actually, especially like, especially Merton Music Foundation, as a, a small music hub in South West London, is producing like absolute powerhouses from, you know, Yaz Ahmed, who's 
they're great trumpeters. But, mm-hmm. but you had Chris Darling, the bass player in LA, who like went through music foundation. Um, and in my generation of players, uh, like Phil Merriman, this amazing piano player who I work with a lot, um, Matt, Matt Goff, who's now based in, in Glasgow, um, and Jada Walker, who was a drummer, but is now kind of more filming. But we had a really nice core collective of musicians um, in, in my group. And also, you know, a load of great classical players who went on to forge really great classical careers as well. But for my, my year, we had, we had some really lovely musicians there. And it's, yeah, I felt really lucky to be playing alongside them from like, the age of 14. And like, you know, I had a gig with, the piano player until last night, you know, that we're still, we're still working to get the loans, which is cool. <laughs> yeah. Th- those, those youth bands, they do such a job and I try to sort of applaud yeah. them as much as possible because they, you know, apart from the guys that go on to make professions out of it, it's just the opportunity they give a lot of youngsters to get involved in music in some way mm. and just yeah. enjoy it and yeah. understand it. So Tara, you mentioned a moment ago when we last spoke, the World Harp Championships, did it ever come, because I think you're on your way when it all got pulled off, it's like, from yeah. Eventually, we had to do it online. Oh dear! Uh, so it was, yeah, not a vibe, not a vibe. No, um, I'm guessing unless you've got the acoustics of the Albert Hall in your living room, trying to play the harp online isn't going to sound <laughs> too wonderful. Yeah. So you know, the good thing was that they paid for a video, so we got, you know, basically free promo. Um, but you know the trying to capture the relationship between two musicians and our relationship with the audience, which is very much a part of, of how we, um, how we work. It's very hard to catch that. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we didn't win, but it was, yeah, a lovely experience. And actually the festival was run really well. Um, there was a lot of respect for the artists and, um, yeah, we had a lovely time. And have you been able to get back home at all? No, I'm fingers crossed getting home in March and April. Ed, your chair is driving me nuts. Is it squeaking? Yeah. Just a little. Oh, I can't hear it at all. Oh, sorry, man. <laughs> I'll, I'll stop it. I can't hear it at all. So I'm in headphones. Right. <laughs> I, I, you two in the studio together, I can just imagine. Must, <laughs> must, have, must have been fun. Yeah. We're like siblings. <laughs> we'll argue and bicker when we finish the interview, children. <laughs> Come on, Dave. It was driving you bad, too. You were just too polite to say anything. I like to be professional, you know. I suck these things up. <laughs> I might have done a little post, a little bit of tweaking, but uh, are you throwing me off a call, off my thread now? I had a question lined up. Oh, yes. I was going to go. I'm going home in March and April. Fingers crossed. Hope, hopefully, Omicron doesn't ruin yeah, everything. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, both of your gig candles looking good at the moment. Yeah. Yeah, right. Now, I mean, we just finished a mad one, didn't we? Literally, I just... Yeah. Like... Oh, you both, were you both on a gig yeah. last night then, or...? No, no. Yeah. Today. No, it's all day. I was booked on the gig, and I think it was supposed to be a guitarist and singer, um, but pulled out, and the trumpet player texted me last night saying, oh, guitarist and singer's pulled out. I need to find a harmony instrument and someone who can sing who knows all of these tunes for tomorrow. And I was like, man, I reckon Tara knows all of those tunes. She could do a half of vocals. And so, and he, so I, yeah, so he called Tara and then, and then we had a bit of a, a lunchtime hang today, which is called playing for a, a big fashion brand in Mayfair. Yeah, but they gave us these robes to wear. Ah, any particular reason? Because, well, it was the fashion thing. Was, yeah, fashion thing. And so they have to dress the talent. And um, oh, it's, like, it's always, it's always crazy. You never quite know. I didn't expect at 11 o'clock last night that I was going to be dressed in a robe in Mayfair playing 
Mambo Italiano, but there we are. There you go. The life of a musician, eh? a gigging harpist. Actually, ro- robes, oddly, have been a part of my week because my, my daughter, she graduated in jazz uh, and the, did a master's because it was all delayed. So I was down at Twickenham Stadium this week. That's where they decided to hold it. And so it was all the whole mortarboard throwing and robes and, and all she was moaning about wasn't like thanking me for the education. The robes cost so much to rent. The robes are yeah. and <laughs> hideous expensive, man. You only have them for an hour. We have to pay this much for them. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But we'll have for the pictures at the end. Exactly that. And I got to see what Twickenham Stadium looked like empty and up close, which was quite impressive, I've got to say.
They really were on great form, weren't they? And we've got more from Tara Ned shortly. The track we just heard was taken from Two for the Road, their brand new album. This Friday, an all-star band featuring four outstanding players grace our stage. Paul Stacey guitar, Rob Malarkey bass, Jeremy Stacey drums and Ross Stanley on keys. Ross is always busy and has been featured on many albums. And one of those was the recent release from Nigel Price, Wes Reimagined. It's a 10-track album, the lineup being Joel Barford, Vasilis Nopolis, Tony Kofi, Snowboy and Callum Owl. And here is a track that was released as the lead single back in the spring of this year, Kariba. Straight Ahead with David Lewis. Thank you. 
a track from Nigel Price's album, where we imagine that featured Ross Stanley, who's with us this coming weekend, and that was Kariba. Time now, though, that we uh, go back to our interview with Tara and Ed, and we're going to start off the second part of the interview with a track taken from the album Two for the Road, and this is The Shadow of Your Smile. Your smile 
is slightly from the album so let's go back to two for the road oh, um, yes. are you going to begin obviously you said it's released at the end of january are you going to be touring it as well yeah yes we will be we're hoping to tour um in the summer because obviously we can just hop in the car mm-hmm. um the tricky thing is we're, well we're in the process of booking everything and i i'm endorsed by les arp camac which is the french harp company um and they're really keen for us to come and play. It's just trying to work around Brexit um, and all of basically how do we how do we get paid? Yeah, no, and, it, and how do we get a harp to Europe because of the carne? It's it's insanely expensive. Well, I was going to say, I mean, both of your instruments are, are, are cumbersome to be shipping around. I know, did, am I right in thinking on our last interview? Sometimes you use a harp that's on a location. Yeah, but for you, Ed, would you consider you always take your own bass with you? Do you? Um, I have, I have done in the past. I've actually been, yeah, I have done in the past. Well, no, actually, the Barcelona one, there was, there was one there waiting for us. So it's, it mixes up. I've been using. I should give him a plug because he's great. But there's uh, Lawrence Dixon, who's uh, uh, an amazing bass maker at Hill, has has kind of created this travel bass which packs down into a suitcase. And I've been using that for foreign gigs recently, which is great. But actually, in hindsight, it poses the same problems. I've like transporting another instrument into another country. You still have to fill out all the same forms, mm. um, but it, it, it mean, you can fly with it a lot easier, which which makes life easier. And presumably, um, you, you'd both be terribly anxious about shipping your instruments as well, because obviously, any musician becomes so attached to their. Yeah, you can't you can't really ship like people do ship harps, but it's a prohibitively expensive, like thousands and thousands of pounds, mm. and takes forever to clear customs, and then you're without an instrument for months. For a gig, mm. you know, that gig better be paying a hell of a lot of money. <laughs> Otherwise, what are you going to do for the rest of the time? Well, it's interesting you brought that up a moment ago. I mean, it's musicians and trying to make money out of the life of a musician, that is, well, it's an interview in itself, but it's, it still seems that it's not respected. You know, people expect you to play for either next to nothing or there's still, I know, occasions where it'd be like, you know, they'd expect you to turn up and just play in a corner for nothing. I mean, I don't know at what point musicians are going to be respected and actually offered the reward that they are due because to make a living out of music should not be an offensive sentence, should it? You should be. You trained hard. You're good at what you do. You're at the top of your game. And if you went to any other profession, you'd expect to pay. It's just so odd. And then, of course, you get into the whole thing with the streaming versus downloads as opposed to buying physicals. It's it's a tough life that you two have got, isn't it? Yeah. I mean... I, I, I disagree slightly in the, in the I think... On, I found recently actually since stuff's opened up, I found that, that actually like 
gig fees have been have been okay. That it's been actually the people are, are people are beginning to pay properly, and it might just be lucky to be booked by the right people. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that actual like yeah, the venues that I've been working with recently are really have been really great with like treating musicians well um, and kind of seeing the value in musicians. And actually, I've experienced that far more in the last few months than maybe I did before. But I think Tara will, I haven't got any original albums out. I just found other people's things and do session work. But I think Tara will be able to say that like the Spotify streaming service is, is, is like robbery, basically. It is. But even like there's a there's the guitarist I know, singer-songwriter, who's from this country, but he's moved to America. And, you know, he comments on my Facebook and Instagram and oh, I love what you're doing. And, you know, when we were doing the um, the campaign for the record, um, or or like you know, just released by on Bandcamp. He's like, oh yeah, yeah, cool, Tara. Yeah, I'll listen to it on Spotify. And this is a singer songwriter. Yeah. Whoa, come on, switch the light on. I know. I mean, I've, I've spoken to many artists about the whole Spotify thing, and it's well catalogued how little you make out of it. And the problem is, of course, it detracts people from buying physicals or downloading, doesn't it? I mean, downloads aren't wonderful. I know still buying physicals from your own gigs or from your own websites is the best thing to do. But the whole streaming thing, yes, if you get onto a big playlist, it helps expose you and people know who you are. But it's then does that transfer into them going and actually buying albums from you as opposed to just streaming forever and a day? Yeah. I mean, being being perfectly honest, if if all of that uh, exposure translated to like gigs, you know, invitations mm-hmm. to play and, and nice invitations to play, it wouldn't... Um, we wouldn't be here. And I think actually that's why the streaming conversation is happening now because suddenly we couldn't tour. Mm. And especially, you know, the big musicians realised suddenly when they stopped touring that, oh, gosh, actually we're not making any money from this at all. Yeah, I mean, it's, I mean, hopefully from what Ed was saying, maybe there's been a bit of a reset. Maybe people are now realising that their the gigs were taken away from them, that being able to see musicians was taken away from them. Now they're going to just value it a little bit more and actually expect to pay and hope I know the venues are probably still slightly restricted on numbers but you know hopefully they can book musicians at a fair gig rate and you know reward you for what you're doing yeah I think so and and you know like it I've I've been enjoying some really lovely gigs and I've had some you know some agents and some clients from the past contact me wanting me to play for you know silly silly money and they've some of them have got a bit arsy with me because I said you know, no, I'm not available for that fee. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, I mean, I don't care because I'm not going to play. <laughs> I'm not going to play for them. Um, no, you, don't, you yeah. can't devalue what you are, can you? Because once you've done it, there's, there's no coming back. Once you're at that price bracket, that's what you're valued at. So that's uh, it. And uh, Ed, we mentioned a little bit earlier on about your other band, that one of the bands that you play in the Blues and Roots Ensemble, which is a real homage to the Man Mingus, isn't it? Yeah, like a total almost to, to Mingus. Uh, yeah, it's a it's a nine piece nine piece uh, band, um, pretty diverse in its in its characters and nationalities within the band. Um, and I like write try and write either like really creative arrangements of of like Mingus music uh, to play to a modern audience or transcriptions of his kind of lesser known and lesser performed works. Um, and uh, yeah, we do a lot of education outreach work. Uh, it, across like all formats, like primary schools, secondary schools, and SEN schools, uh, pupil fair units, and like adult level workshops. Um, and then we're actually just celebrating. We've been uh, a charity now for a year. We've got charitable status last November. Uh, so that was like my lockdown project is kind of 
just completing that task before. Judging by what you just said there, and also when we touched on education before, it seems your eyes come to light there. Obviously, it's a big passion of yours, something you really believe in about trying to give back and, you know, look after the community and the kids and sharing the music out. Yeah, especially with Blues and Roots Ensemble. I think that's the, the one of the things. I mean, the, the private school teaching, I love the, you know, the facilities that are offered in good schools and I love students who are motivated to work and teach and who are ambitious. Um, and it's, it's really nice to work with that, but I feel like Blues and Roots Ensemble is really kind of at the cold face of a proper education. Like we, we pride ourselves on going to schools that are kind of limited in their access to, to decent music education and to taking like really world-class players into mm. slightly unusual settings mm. um, and offering kind of any musician, like any age and the ability, the, the ability to, to kind of improvise, join in and play with alongside professional musicians. Um, and I think that the kind of the other importance is like emphasizing the social importance of jazz, especially Mingus's music that was all through storytelling and, and kind of overcoming social injustice, you know, issues to do with civil rights and segregation um, and like really, really kind of deep core topics that are, are really still relevant today but were presented in Minx's music in the 40s and actually have been kind of overlooked a lot in modern education. Mm. Um, and so that's that's one of the, the kind of core values of the band as well. And just as a little side note, I think I might, I think I might, the first Mingus track I ever heard was Goodbye Pork Pie Hat. I think that was, I think that was the first track I ever, I'm sure my dad had it and it was played at home and that's the first time I ever heard it. Well, it's a good yeah. way to start. Oh yeah. If you're going to fall in love with bass, that kind of, <laughs> that track's yeah, kind yeah. of like really in, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. We performed that as a duo um, because Joni Mitchell wrote a vocalese, wrote lyrics to the John Handy saxophone solo. Wow. Have, have yeah. you got it? Have you got the track? There's a, there's a nice recording online, I think, of us, of us doing a duo. Yeah, on YouTube. Think. Okay. Yeah. Am, I allowed to, am I allowed to rip that and put it on the show if I find it? Yeah, yeah. of course. It's yeah. Actually, yeah, I'm happy with how it sounds, so go for it. Okay, I'll try. I'll make a note of that. Remind me at the end of the interview to make a note and I'll go and try and find it. But because that's the other thing, go and rip something. It's like, no, we shouldn't have done that. Yeah. <laughs> I've been stuck once too often to make that mistake again. So. Well, thanks, there, thanks for checking in. Yeah, there is a radio station that do, I won't name them, but they do that to me a lot. Oh, really? And I've, I've had to send them an email and say, guys, I, I can just send you the waveforms of, you know, stuff that I've. Yeah. Recorded with care, Audio. Studio. yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> you don't have you don't have to rip me playing autumn leaves off of YouTube. <laughs> no, that's why I, I carefully asked because I say it's something equally that I'm very you know fervently again uh, for you know making sure that we play you in the way you want to be seen and in the right light. And as you say, you've put a lot of effort into recordings, so yeah. play what we're given. Play studio recordings should be the way forward. So you've both got good websites, which I was looking at earlier on today. Uh, very easy as well. Tarminton.com and yep. edbubba.co.uk. There's a lot of information there. And I know on yours, certainly, Tara, there's a fundraising page as well for this album where people can help you get the CDs produced and the books printed. Yes, and... but we've just, uh, it's just finished, actually. So thank you, everyone who um, contributed. That's gone a long way, actually, to getting the CDs printed. Uh, we really appreciate it. Mm -hmm. And you've got the books going with it now, the books being designed and printed to go with it. It's in the process. Yeah. Ed, Ed laughs there. <laughs> Ed, Ed laughs because Ed's done, um, how much have you done, Ed? It's quite a long process. I don't think, so the, the discussion of the book was, you know, it's, it's going to be an amazing resource when it's finished, but it's like a big process. Of, of, He's a politician. Like, He's absolutely a politician. I know. <laughs> <laughs> I know bad, like Answer the question, Ed. How much? It was, only, it was only finished for when we finished recording the album. So I was like, "You're going to have to transcribe every note you played on the album. We're going to we're going to release it as a book." And I was like, "Okay, so it's quite a lot of work." I think it will be it will be really good. 
And I'm, I'm like quite looking forward to using it as a, a teaching resource myself, slightly gratuitously, my own students who can like learn it from my baselines. Um, but yeah, I've got, I've got a bit of work still on that one. Oh, so it's going to be notation. <laughs> you're, it's going to be notation in the booklet. So you're going to actually transcribe yeah. and. Yeah, because I mean, during that's the lockdown, that's a touch. I think so. I um, so I collect this particular type of book. Um, I love looking at, you know, exactly what Herbie Hancock played mm-hmm. with with the harmony, and I also love it when they include the bass line because the re- the relationship between the bass and everything it's it's important rather than just harmony and what they played. It doesn't give you much of an idea of what they were interacting with. Um, so I collect those books and I've really loved them. And I was teaching jazz transcription to harpists over the last year. Um, and something that we found is that actually a lot of saxophone lines and, and piano solos and guitar solos are very playable, but you have to spell them in a very bizarre way. Um, so you might be playing an A chord, but you need to play a D flat instead of a C sharp because of what's going on. The harp's difficult. Um, so it would be, I thought it would be a really love, lovely resource to mm. present this music the way that I play it, particularly for harpists. And then if there are any composers or arrangers out there who want to be able to give harpists a part that's actually playable, which happens very rarely, if I'm being honest. Um, and contemporary so, as well. Yeah, it'd be a nice resource for, for the composers who are interested in writing well for the harp. So you talked about the end of January. Is that when the physical CD is due to be released as well? Yeah. Well, the CD goes to print tomorrow. Right. Okay. Uh, so in three and a half weeks, I'll have them and I'll be sending them out to everybody who's already pre-ordered them. Mm-hmm. Um, probably a little bit after Christmas, if we're being honest. And then, yeah, basically they'll be released to everyone else on the 28th of January. And is vinyl an option? Have you gone the vinyl route or not? No, there's a massive backlog. Yes, everybody tells me that. That doesn't seem anyone can get their vinyls done quickly. I forget who I was on recently, but somebody I know was releasing on vinyl. There's a massive problem with it. Yeah. So we're not dealing with that headache. And also you have to master it differently for vinyl. Oh, do you? Yeah. Did not know that. So we'll see how the CDs go. Um which will mostly be jazz musicians playing them in their car on the way to gigs. <laughs> <laughs> or my granddad's. Um, that, that's our kind of core listenership, really. Okay. Yeah, it's always good to have a demographic. We all need an avatar to aim at. And if your granddad's the one, then let's, let's just shoot for him. <laughs> He's really chuffed that he recognises half of the songs. Yeah, well, that's the thing. When the album came through, you know, it is a number of tracks on there that you are going to uh, shadow your smiles. Another one that's on. I mean, it's full yeah. of those tracks that immediately you hear the melody and you know, and somehow because they, they've got a contemporary take on how they've been arranged and, and written here. You, yeah. But the fact that you recognise them is actually really comforting because it, it just pulls right. you in. And you kind of, right. you know, new music's fantastic, but contemporary ch- challenges and takes on established tracks is always got a, a place in anyone's heart isn't it i think so and we the the tracks are 50 percent american songbook and 50 percent the modern british jazz canon mm-hmm. um which is let's say you know the great british songbook and and so we wanted to to connect the two worlds um because obviously jazz came from america but actually there's an incredible scene and and some beautiful creativity that's happened on this island. Um, and then the the challenge was how do we 
how do we treat this so that it sounds like one record and not worlds apart? Mm. Well, it, the scene in this country at the moment is in a really good state. I mean, the, the, the nature of this show, I used to play like classic blue note sounds and it's completely 360 changed now that I'm playing new contemporary musicians because there's just so much great music. I'm lucky it's so much is being sent to me, but it's just great to see the state that jazz is in. It's in a really I love state, it. isn't it? It's a, yes, it's in a, it's it's such in a, a joy. bloody marvellous place at the moment. <laughs> Probably get bleeped for that, but there you go. It's it's just in a, it really is in such a good state, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, and one of the, like, I think one of the lovely things about the London scene is just being able to go and check out your friends playing gigs and like listen to like when it's when it's your mates who are perfecting on like really good things like the pride that you go in and like there's always always someone playing you just need to scroll through like any form of social media and someone's doing okay something somewhere yeah you know someone and you can always go and see it i'm like i really love to like go and support friends who are like you know yeah you do, really yeah. proud of their projects and there's that that makes it makes it really good it is a great community the musicians world you know that I, i've been lucky to speak to an awful lot and there's not too many bad apples out there most of you've got one another's backs haven't you we we really do we really do um because yeah, as performers me... you wouldn't you'd be forgiven for thinking there could be quite a lot of precious souls there but on the whole most people have got one another's backs and are looking out for one another which is really great to see yeah i i really love it and um the harp the harp community is very similar actually there's um there's a real camaraderie you know i think everybody just empathizes with dragging a, a harp <laughs> dragging a harp around um but yeah and and the jazz community is it's really beautiful to to see a room full of people you know if if a famous saxophonist plays ronnie's ronnie's will be full of saxophonists yep yeah. You know, and they're not there to judge, they're there to be excited. And that's a beautiful energy. It happened down at the six last week. I know that Jim Mullen was down there. Nigel Price put up, Don't try and yep. book me tonight. Not a chance. Yeah. Well it was, it was Pete Bernstein. That, uh, right, of course. New York. Yeah. Yeah. So that was the that was the duo gig. So yeah, that was just like I think you know, all the good stars are coming out. I saw that as well. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We all follow the same feeds, don't we? Talking about yeah. feeds also, I mentioned you've got websites, but uh, you're both on Instagram as well and dead easy to find. It's just your names basically, so it's dead easy to find you on Instagram as well. So you can follow the same feeds that I do. That's my uh, blinking waking <laughs> up in the morning, having a look at Instagram, seeing who's been on a gig the previous night and what pictures are up. So <laughs> It's a, it's a weird life. I wish I had a talent. I wish I could do something like you two guys, but there you go. I just get to look at what you do. <laughs> but I love it. I love it. So the new album is going to be out at the end of January. It's called Two for the Road, and it's been lo lovely having Tara and Ed on with us this week on Straight Head. Guys, it's been fantastic having you on. It's lovely to meet you for the first time, Ed, as well, and I'm sure we'll get you back. With yeah, you too. Yeah, and thanks so much. It's really lovely to be here and chat. Lovely. And uh, yeah, go visit the website. Well, it's going to be on your website for sure, isn't it, Tara, the, the album? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So, I've spent all my money on it, so um, <laughs> I've got to be singing from the rafters. Sitting there on tea chest currently, yeah, as all her funds have gone into the album. So, guys, you need to support this project, support new music, and go get a copy for yourself in uh, January. Get it on back order now. Two for the Road from Tara and Ned Barber. Guys, fantastic to have you on the show. Thank you so much indeed. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you. your coat and get your hat leave your worries on the doorstep just direct your feet to the sunny side of the street mm -hmm. 
Ahead with the 606 Club and David Lewis.
thank you to Tara and Ed. They're a great company, really great form, as you heard. And don't forget, make sure you bag yourself a copy of that album, Two for the Road. It's going to be released in January. Add it to your collection. And the track right at the end of the interview was The Sunny Side of the Street. And we just heard from a sax man that you heard playing on Nigel Price's album a little bit early on. That was Vasilis Sinopoulos from his Dextraology album. That was a title track that we just listened to. Another artist who's been with us this week is expat Australian singer Lily Dior. Lily has performed around the world, including performances in New York, New Zealand, Japan, Singapore and Shanghai. And of course, London. The music on the gig will highlight Lily's groove and soul credentials. And here she is with her take on the standard love for sale. Oh, oh, oh. 
Love for Sale. A couple of months ago, we had saxophonist Hannah Horton on the show talking about her brand new album, Inside Out. The lineup on the album is, uh, apart from obviously Hannah on the sax, you've got John Crawford piano, Nick France drums, Rob Statham is on the bass, and here is Breathing Out. Hold for a bar. 
Over on our website, 606club.co.uk, not only will you find details of some of our gigs, but also how you can hire the club for your parties or events, some great last-moment gift ideas, and also details on some masterclasses coming up in January here at The Six. Right now, though, it's time for another slice. In fact, our final slice of Christmas this week with Lara Edie. And have yourself a merry little Christmas. Yourself a man. 
Thank you to our guests this week, Tara Minton and Ed Barber. Check them out on their social media feeds and websites and don't forget to pick up the album we're featured on the show this week, Two for the Road. Our final number on this week's show is from an iconic figure on UK jazz scene, guitarist John Etheridge. This week, John bought his uh, Blue Spirit Trio to the club, which showcases the bluesier side of John's musicality. The trio is made up of Mike Gorman on organ and drummer George Double, and on this week's gig... The legendary saxophonist is Art Thiemann was added to the lineup as well. So we're going to finish the show this week with a track from John, along with his oftentime collaborator John Williams, and God bless the child. Thanks your company, and I hope to catch you next week when I'm back here with Joe Harrop for our Christmas special. So it's going to be loads of great Christmas music and, of course, jazz and conversation. I'll catch you at the same time next week. Thank you.